Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning and welcome to the Talking City podcast, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester News. It's a wonderfully wet and sleety Friday morning where I am, Si. What's the weather like where you are? Yeah, car alarm actually went off last night because the hailstone was was that bad for a, a fleeting moment, but uh, it, it's better than it was. Yeah, well, with that weather comes the Manchester City game on Tuesday. The weather was appalling. I've had so many people message me. <laughs> saying that they 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 tried to get the or they did get the Man City match day bus and the weather was so bad that it really marred their experience but not not from the bus itself just from the weather just being the weather and um, inside the yeah, first minute but, you've got the bus in Seb inside and I, well I'm going to tee it up <laughs> inside the um yeah no the weather was horrible on Tuesday but um not as horrible on as it was on Saturday uh just because on Saturday it was quite a nice day and then got to the stadium and that was all fine. And then um, I came sort of up from the, the press room and it was like just all a month's worth of rain had been unleashed and kept being unleashed for the whole whole day. And then you came on Tuesday, it was like raining all day, wasn't it? And it was being back at the stadium. It was like, has it actually stopped here over the last four days? Um, not, to, uh, not to make out that Manchester is always full of rain, but these last two games have been particularly bad. Yeah, well, in part three, we're going to preview size trip to Bournemouth, where we hope the weather is is nice. I've never been to Bournemouth when it's rained, so as far as I'm concerned, it does not rain in Bournemouth. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll get get onto that a little bit later. But side Tuesday night, Brentford. Uh, it was it was ages ago now, so I won't spend too much time reviewing the game per se. But for those of you who haven't heard or seen the game, we just want to run through the the main talking points. Yeah, um, a very difficult game against a very decent Brentford side who seem to be sort of better than the league table would suggest, but they're still not getting the results that maybe their their performances earn. Um, Thomas Frank, very good at setting up against City, against top teams. And they've got players who can 
hurt you on the break. Um, Ivan Tony, there was Onyeka, there was Wissa, all with sort of so much pace to to get in behind the the city defence and uh, Onyeka in particular had chances that he could maybe should have have scored from. Um, city were pretty good in the first half, I have to say. They um, sort of De Bruyne not risked, didn't play a minute, didn't warm up, kind of hamstring niggles. He was on the bench, but no more. And and City sort of had a few chances, but um, couldn't really get there. Um, and then they came out after the break and it all went to pot a bit. And, you know, Brentford were really on top and City just couldn't sort of find their their natural game. Um and then a very good move, which is just a series of vertical passes from Rodri to Julian Alvarez to Erling Haaland, who helped by a slip by the defender. Ran through on goal, slotted it in for goal number 22 of the season. Uh, 1-0, a clean sheet, a rare clean sheet. And it meant they were one point behind Liverpool um, after 25 games. Liverpool obviously won the next night against Luton, so they're back to being four points ahead, but they have played one game more. So, um, yeah, it was a a tricky night, but a tricky test that was overcome. And I think it's now 14 wins in in 16 games and 16 unbeaten. So um, no signs really of City sort of falling back anytime soon yeah and it was another late goal for Erling Haaland he scored his last three goals have been later on in the game haven't they he scored two against Everton and then this one against Brentford and, and obviously City's last game against Chelsea Rodri scored late in the game is is there a pattern emerging about City sort of scoring or winning games later on that, that last season was very much they were blowing teams away in the first half yeah, certainly recently they've kind of, at home, I don't think they've scored in the last three in the first half. Um, they've they, they found it more difficult to to score of late. Um, but they're still creating chances. So it, it's one of those, I think, um, you know, obviously good that they are scoring late on. They would much rather score earlier on, I suppose. But um it's it's something to watch because you know the last few teams have been very good at keeping them out for at least a half. So certainly at the Etihad, which is kind of seen as as their their stronghold, and you know you look against games coming up against United and Arsenal, and early goals could really make the difference in that game, like they did last season. Um, so it, it is one to watch and one that City will be working on because they they love like most teams nothing better than a fast start. Uh, just want to touch on Cal Walk, who was a sort of subject to the conversation on Friday's podcast, uh, Monday's podcast. Sorry, with Joe, um, it was so, not not suggested per se, but it was it was discussed in a way where is Kyle Walker City's sort of weak point at the moment, and you sort of saw that he was guilty of being outrun for Brentford's early chance on Tuesday night. But you've given him a seven out of ten of the player rating. So can you just sum up his performance? Um, yeah, I thought he was all right. He took a few kind of strange decisions um, and he still loves a shot more than he should love a shot. Um, but he is, um, he was a pretty solid part of the defence and he was needed to be a solid part of the defence because of the pace that Brentford had. Um, you know, he's the the best City defender to 
to combat that pace. I think the the idea of him being City's weakness is more kind of a a, a structural or a systemic um, point in that, you know, City's best period last season when they won the treble was having four defenders, uh, four central defenders in the defence and having, say, Manu Akanji at right-back who can move into centre-back as John Stones from centre-back moves up the pitch. Um so Walker as a kind of more traditional right back is um was not a part of that. However, with the way City are playing at the minute, and you know, they have Foden who they've kind of pushed out a bit to the right, but he's coming in. Uh and so Walker, not for the first time this season, was kind of the most advanced City player down the right wing. So he's being asked to cover two roles. Um so for for this kind of system, Walker you can see why he plays so much, even if, um, you know, some people don't think it's the best system. And then to counter that, you gave Manu Kanji a five. He was the lowest rated player <laughs> in your player ratings. Yeah, Your words were, started off okay and tested Flecken in goal. But the more time you spent on the ball, the more he wasted it. And do you think that that's a tactical thing that Pep's trying to get him to play more football? Or do you think he's just having a bit of a moment? Um... I mean, I, I got some comments about the five and he did get man of the match inside the stadium. So uh, many people disagreed with the five. Um, however, the the stadium man of the match is not always uh, gospel. Um, yeah, it was a funny one really because basically the way Brentford set up, so it was tactical in the sense that Brentford sort of squeezed so much of the pitch together that they were kind of almost all on the edge of their own box when they were defending, which was great because City had kind of the whole pitch to work at, but it meant that all of their attacking players were squeezed into this space and meant that the people who were getting time on the ball to dictate play were not Kevin De Bruyne or Phil Foden or even Rodri, but Manu Akanji and Ruben Diaz, um, which, you know... Guardiola has played a Kanji in the John Stones role quite a few times and is convinced that he can do it. Um, whether he can do it as well as Stones is another matter, but it, it just felt that for me, for all um, a Kanji had, you know, however many successful passes and successful touches and whatever, like he wasn't that great in breaking Brentford down. And that's natural because he's. He's he's not that's not his primary role. He's there to be a defender, um, but it just kind of felt like Akanji was on the ball a lot, and not a lot came from it. And like I say, it's not fully his fault. He's kind of victim to Brentford's tactics. But watching it, that's kind of where my mark came from because sort of felt like the the ball would have been better at somebody else's feet, even if um, you know they were tightly so tightly marked and some of the sort of passes through that Akanji tried to do didn't really come off and you thought well someone else would have had better success at being able to do that right so now we've gone through the game I want to move on to some stuff that was around the game after the game there was, in fact in fact during the game but this was on social media there was a lot of comments it's the same boring comments that we get all the time about Man City's stadium being empty Sai you're in the stadium for I would say 99% of the games of a season probably 100% let's be honest but 
just what is the attendance like? And, and, and if there was a staggered attendance on Tuesday, what was the reason for it? Yeah, so I'd kind of heard uh, before the game that it might not be very full. Um, and this is, you know, since the start of last season, um, City have sold out every game, every Premier League game. Um, you know, the, the Haaland effect has added to the the successful Premier League team and demand has kind of never been bigger. That's partly why the North Stand expansion is coming because there is so much demand for, for tickets and it, it's so hard to... To uh, to get some, but you know, the city still do kind of give tickets to to schools and things like that for certain games. Um, but but anyway, for the the Brentford game, I'd heard it was going to be um, not as full as others. Um, and then about five minutes before kickoff, you looked around and there were like a lot of empty seats. And you're thinking, right, this is this will be really something. And then the game kicked off, and a lot of them have been filled. And like there are a few, uh, a few empty seats still, and you sort of the game started, and I think Brentford went down to City's end, and there was a pocket of seats, sort of just behind the goal to the right that were like all empty. Um, so it, you know, if you were to screenshot that as somebody did, then the stadium looks really empty. But within five ten minutes, they were all full as well. So it wasn't well, that suit their agenda. No, no, no. And the the stadium, I, I I don't think it was as full as other games this season. Um, that doesn't mean that the tickets weren't sold for it because the tickets were sold for it because it was sold out. But it just meant that uh, people ch- chose not to go or people couldn't go. And some of those tickets... Um, even if they put on for resale or whatever, couldn't be those people couldn't go or they weren't put on for resale. Um, and yeah, so it, it wasn't as it wasn't maybe a few hundred less or than than that. Yeah, uh, than than it normally would be. Uh, but it wasn't really a big deal. So it was a bit weird to see such a big deal being made of it and it's such like a it, it's just a nonsense metric you know it's the equivalent of like taking expected goals to be the whole thing because what what do you want from from a crowd do you want it to be a sellout like there were there were fewer people there at Brentford because Brentford also didn't anywhere near sort of sell out their allocation and you know do we want to pop at them for not traveling up from West London um yeah as you mentioned it was a horrible night it was uh there's a lot of traffic it's half seven which is earlier than a lot of evening kickoffs so so it made sense that people were later to the seats than they might have been because you know i don't know about other people but plenty of people work to uh earn a season ticket or or match tickets so um like there were fewer people in there for the brentford game than there were against everton for the saturday half 12 and the atmosphere was so much better for the Brentford game than it was against Everton. So would you rather have more people in seats or would you rather have a better atmosphere? Um, I'd probably go for atmosphere. And there was a bit of a misconception as well, because in the second half, um, Pep was kind of calling for more noise from the supporters. And he was calling for more noise because he just had a load of noise. You know, it was him saying yes, this is exactly what I want. Please carry on. It wasn't like, oh my God, you guys are so quiet. 
I I need noise. Um, so so it, it what you know in the first half he tried to tell them to calm down because there were some people not happy with the speed at which City were playing. So so it was a lively crowd, um, and yeah, it's just nonsense when people try and sort of throw out the the usual boring jibes that are not in any sense true. And to back up the fact that, well, what Simon's saying there and what we're all saying, I actually did a bit of research during the week off the back of this. And yet people could come back and say, well, that's what the clubs are reporting. But the only data we can go off is what's, what data is available. I had a look on uh, website Statista and basically looked at the top six Premier League teams as they are right now and worked out their attendance versus the stadium capacity this season, their average attendance. Manchester City's average attendance versus stadium capacity sits at 99.8% at the time of of creating that graphic. Arsenal in second, 99.2. Man United, 98.9. Tottenham, 97.9. Villa, 97.6. And then Liverpool, 91.5. Now, we know that Liverpool have had some work done on the stadium, so some of the seats have been out of action. So I took that into account and and sort of did that. But if you actually do it post-extension, their attendance drops to eighty-seven point one percent. So it's it's it was quite funny because the person who actually made that that screenshot that jibe was a Liverpool fan. So it's like you know, get make sure your own stadium's filled before you start criticizing everybody else's, mate. You know, but also sort of two separate, two interesting points on that. I think are that City make less money uh, from their stadium than Liverpool do, and it's a similar capacity. And City make less money on theirs because they have about 10,000 more season tickets. So if you have more season tickets, those are people who are going every week to the same seat to the same game and fewer people who are coming just for a one-off. So if you're selling for a one-off, you attract more kind of non-regulars, dare we say tourists, who are more willing to spend on things because they're not there um, every week. And you can also sell single tickets for more than you would a season ticket on average because, you know, what's the point on getting a season ticket otherwise? And um, so, you know, City could charge more, but they don't. And again, is that a bad thing? Is that a something that should they should be mocked for or or whatever? The other interesting thing is I was reading um, Ferran Soriano's book recently, who was um, obviously the, the City CEO, but he was at Barcelona for, for years before then. And he speaks in that about how, um, he couldn't understand how their capacity was not full when they had so many season tickets and so many people who should have been attending but weren't. So he started to think, right, how do we sort this and how do we sort of convince these these members to to go? Because he, he couldn't get his head around it because he thought every time you don't go, you're losing money. You're throwing away like 20, 30 euros, whatever a match ticket is. And he, he then found, after speaking to them, that for, for a lot of them, buying a season ticket was their kind of annual membership. So they paid that price for annual membership. And so every game they went to was free in their heads because they'd already paid for annual membership to sit in that seat and to have it for whenever they wanted. Um and so, yeah, you can try and sort of set up ticket exchanges so that if someone knows they're not going, they can sell it back and, and et cetera, et cetera. But you can't change the mindset of people who are just like, 
yeah, th- this is my season ticket so I can go whenever I choose to go. Um, and they've already paid for for their seat for the season, they think. So, um, yeah, it's not a conversation that we enjoy sort of popping up all the time. Um, but, you know, it's quite interesting to explain the the realities and you know i would say i've seen with i've seen with city this season i've seen with every big club this idea of like oh i've sold my ticket back and the club have sold it for so much more and like there's no atmosphere and and how how does every big club maintain their loyal following and the noise inside the stadium from people who um know they are going to know all the songs and and etc while also introducing new fans into that environment and City have had it Liverpool Klopp called for atmosphere before the Luton game on Wednesday he was furious in the first half because he wasn't getting what he wanted so this happens to to every big club and is happening to every big club and is I think an interesting topic but you know reductive silly things like screenshotting a crowd when the game's just kicked off are um don't really add anything to the conversation. Yeah, usually have faceless Twitter accounts as well, where they don't want their their real identity to be revealed. But just to finish off on this top subject, then, side, just looking at the actual average match attendance in the Premier League this season, City sit one behind Liverpool. City's is fifty three two eight two. Liverpool's is fifty three three four eight. So it's less than a hundred people difference. Yeah, and, and and again, it's not like a City versus Liverpool thing or anything like that. But like, yeah, City do City do as well as the other big clubs um, for uh, selling tickets. Yeah, and and just for anybody who thinks that there's an agenda against Liverpool, it's not. It's just they've got a similar size no, stadium, no. so it's yeah. it's an easy comparison. Newcastle yeah. are one beneath City at fifty two one five one, and we know how passionate the Geordies are. Villas is forty one six forty, and then Chelsea's is thirty nine seven oh six. So, you know, the City are above some of the big names and the you know very yeah. established English clubs. It's not like you know, it's not like they're only behind the. But you know, West Ham's is second. You know, if you want to look at yeah. that, West Ham but, is second in the table. And also, your graphic was it ninety nine point six, ninety nine point eight for City. 99.8. Yeah. So if so if you if your attendance is that and it's 99.8% of capacity, then of course you are going to look to extend the stadium if you if you can, because kind of membership as well is over 200 percent increase and things like that. So yeah, all the sort of oh they're extending while they can't even sell out, it's just oh, give us a break. Yeah, well we know that like at Old Trafford they they introduced the the Red Army to basically create the atmosphere. We know that Caldoun Almabrak wants to bring a, in his words, a blue wall, very much like the yellow wall at Dortmund, into that into that North Stand expansion. Yeah, I mean, he said that, but also it's going to be really interesting with the North Stand. How much does City prioritise atmosphere? How much do they prioritise hospitality? And, um, you know, making making the most money versus creating the best atmosphere because City can do whatever they like with that stand. Um, and, you know, I think a blue wall had been mentioned, but uh, then also I think there were also some plans for some pretty central hospitality. Um, so so it is going to be really interesting to see what the makeup of it is. And, you know, that's not positive or or negative or, or whatever. It's just kind of a, a look, a, an interesting sort of snapshot into how 
City as a modern big club um, tries to, yeah, keep atmosphere while also monopolising on the interest they have in them. Yeah, well, I am going to be doing a video feature on that, very similar to, to the video feature I did on the, the bus service, which we'll talk about in part two. But uh, yeah, so Sai, I'll be, I'll be twisting your ear about that uh, as and when the time comes. If anybody listening would like to, to hear more about that, just keep your eyes peeled on the Talking City YouTube channel and in this, in this show, because we will talk about it. But Sai, before we come to the end of part one, um, I just want to throw a bit of conversation towards Erling Haaland. Um, he was relatively poor, wasn't he, against Chelsea? But then he made up for it against Brentford. Uh, he scored the goal. He's now scored against every single Premier League club he's ever played against. I think there's only one team he hasn't beat. Is that Liverpool or, or is that is that not the case anymore? I think it is Liverpool, yeah. Although um, he didn't play, obviously, in the 4-1 last April when... Uh, presumably they would have won with him in the team. So yeah, that is to uh, to come. So maybe he'll change that at Anfield next month. <laughs> but yeah, so so look, Harlan silencing his critics is what I've written down here. Um, you know, it's it's one of those real juxtapos- juxtaposition type things. Like he's silencing his critics, yet he's like the Premier's leading goal scorer. Absolutely obliterated his competition last season. Why has he got critics? Um, I think because his his goal scoring standards are so high, um, you know, he broke all manner of records last season. So where do you go from there? You have to try and maintain it. And also his performances haven't been as as good this season. You know, last season he and every season I think in his career he has considerably outperformed his expected goals and this year he's down on it. So um he's not been as good as he is. Uh however, he still scores a lot of goals. Uh, and that was kind of what uh, Pep was talking about in the the post match press conference. That you know, if you start saying, "Oh, he's he's some kind of problem," like he'll shut your mouth because he scores goals to win games. And it's yeah, it's that kind of sort of binary outlook of like you know, after they drew with Chelsea, it was kind of like have teams worked out how to stop City, and it was like, well, if they go on a ten game winning, you're going to be saying how boring it is and how they've ruined football and it. it everything else so maybe just kind of take a beat and don't have such an extreme reaction to one game just um just doing the the the, the back backup research for the Erling Haaland stat <laughs> and it is yes he hasn't won against Liverpool in the league but he beat them in the league cup in December 2022 when they won 3-2 but that yeah. was the league cup fourth round so so the, the the stat is correct. He hasn't beaten Liverpool. He's the only team that he hasn't won against, but he has scored against them in the League Cup and beat them in the League Cup. But uh, so there's some comments that have come out from Pep, and it was a it was another one of these things that's been clipped up, put on Twitter to make Pep look bad. And it was it was a clip where he said, "My life is better than yours. You're a journalist." What what was that all about? You were in the press room after the game. What what was that all about? I wasn't in the press room actually. I was in the mix zone, but I sort of have had conversations with people who were who were there. I don't even know whether it was put out by people to make Pep look bad or what. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of people saying a lot of kind of content creators, shall we call them, an organisation saying, "Oh, hilarious response, Pep's hilarious, ha ha ha." Um, and then there was kind of a backlash to that and like, no, it's not hilarious. Actually, it's really unfunny. And why is he saying that? It's really rude and disrespectful. Um, 
And yeah, it was kind of, it was a throwaway comment in his first answer when he was talking about Haaland, um, you know, shutting people's mouths. And and it was kind of the point that um, Pep said, you know, he just couldn't be a journalist. Um, I imagine because he thinks that we are all far too reactionary and over the top and he is more measured in his analysis because of his job. Um, so then it was one of the regular reporters who Pep knows and has seen, you know, most weeks for eight years who then just chirped up, oh, what's the bad with being a journalist? And Pep says, well, my life's better than all of yours. I'm a manager. That's it. It's all right. You know, it's, uh, I think as the journalist involved put it, it was kind of like two people who are very awkward in front of camera um, having an awkward bit of banter that was a bit of nothing, really. You know, and, it, and it's one of those things that like in the days before press conferences were televised, so much went on at press conferences and you could go back and forth and things like that. And managers would, and, you know, a lot of United reporters have many a tale about Alex Ferguson and things like that. And even still some Premier League press conferences aren't fully televised and things like that. Um, but it, it just got picked up um, by a load of people who weren't in the room and didn't have like loads of understanding of it. Um, as either like, ha ha ha, journalists are, rubbish or oh my god Guardiola is such a rude man um and it's just it's very hard to kind of get worked up either way um you know I I think it'd be I was in the mix zone interviewing Oscar Bob and you know the the whole craziness around Pep made me think if Oscar Bob had turned around and said my life's better than yours like would I have been offended? Sort of, maybe, because he doesn't know what my life is like. But at the same time, he's probably earning more in a week than I earn in a year. And that is a pretty big, um, pretty, you know, indicator towards a good life. Like, Pep has won so many trophies and is the best in his field. Um, and maybe the best ever in his field. Like, that's pretty good. And he earns a lot of money. So that's pretty good as well. And he's got a, you know, lovely family and he can, uh, and a lovely home and a nice home in Manchester and back in Barcelona. You know, that seems pretty good. At the same time, like, even if I could, would I want to be Pep? Probably not. Like, I see the stress that goes through him every match day and everything like that. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, probably happy staying, staying with my life, thanks. Um so it's one of those things that people have just got like really, really worked up by or taken loads from. And it's just, it, it is just a throwaway comment. Like, you know, it, it's not really a surprise to think that Pep thinks that being a manager is better than being a journalist. And he wasn't sort of slagging everyone off or whatever. Or maybe he was, but who cares? The thing is, a lot of people criticise people in football for not having opinions and not sharing them. And then when they do, it's like outrage. It's like, so you, you sort of wonder why they don't, because that's the reaction they get, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's funny. But anyway, we're going to wrap up Act 1 there, Si. Um, in Act Part 2, we're going to start with the fact that City have just announced their new US tour. But if you, the listeners, want to go on a tour of the Man City Stadium, 
here's what you've got to do. We've teamed up with Manchester City to bring one listener the ultimate Manchester City fan experience. Immerse yourself in City's state-of-the-art stadium tour experience featuring all three of the treble winner's trophies as well as a first-hand feel as you walk out from the Etihad Stadium glass tunnel. But that's not all. Not only will you have a full tour of the stadium in all its glory, you will sit in Pep Guardiola's seat on the touchline to soak up that matchday feel as well as experience the newly updated virtual press room where you can sit next to the likes of Pep Guardiola himself, Manuel Akanji, Nathan Ake and Erling Haaland. If you want to be in with a chance of winning this fantastic prize, all you have to do is subscribe to the Talking City podcast and leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and email a screenshot with your name, location and contact information to TalkingCityPod, that's TalkingCityPod at gmail.com and we will announce the winner very soon. Good luck. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you can go on a full tour of the Manchester City Stadium. And all you've got to do is leave us a review, send us a screenshot to talkingcitypod at gmail.com and we will let you know if you're the winner. We're going to announce that in March. So I know it's sort of late February now, but we're going to let that run till the end of February and we're going to announce the winner <clears throat> early March or, or maybe mid-March because I'm off for a week in March and it'd be me that does it. So anyway, welcome back, Sai. What is the lowdown? Yeah, they're going back to the US, uh, which they were two years ago uh, before going to Japan and South Korea last year. So they're playing four matches. They are going to Charlotte in North Carolina. They're going to Columbus in Ohio. They're going to New York City in New York State, testing my American geography. And they're going to Orlando in Miami. Um, so no, not Miami, Orlando in Florida, Florida. of course. Yes. Florida. Miami's in Florida. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, they're playing four games. They're there for two and a half weeks. They're playing Chelsea in Ohio and then they don't have any other Premier League matchups. So they won't be playing Arsenal United or Liverpool who I think are going out there as well, but they are playing European teams. So, you know, you can expect teams who they who you might see in the Champions League to be uh, up against them uh, in those games. So yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting because City know that they'll be back in the US next summer for the to defend their Club World Cup title. Um, so interesting that they're going back there, but then they have made huge gains in the US um, on kind of United and Liverpool and and everyone else. So it makes sense, I suppose, to um, try and 
make hay while the sun shines in the US. Yeah, I mean, we saw, I think Rich, Rich was out in Japan, wasn't he, for the tour, uh, um, tour like beginning of this season. And the number of fans queuing up to get in to see them was incredible. Because it was only a few years ago, you know, City were going there and there was very little knowledge and very little, it was like, you know, it was Manchester was Manchester United. Whereas now you see City going on these tours, people are literally queuing up to get in, <clears throat> you know, looking for wearing Harlan shirts, wearing De Bruyne shirts. It's, it's really great to see, you know, for the, the, the appeal now that both Manchester clubs have got around the world. Uh, you know, for us at the Manchester Evening News, we want that because we want more, more stuff to report on it. It makes our lives easier. Yeah, and I did wonder with um, with the great success of last summer's tour, there was a bit of talk about City maybe heading back to Asia, um, which also kind of ma- would have made sense knowing they're going back to the US for, for 25. Um, but I think, you know, Guardiola will be happier that they're in the US because the level of training facilities and the conditions are better. And so... Um, you know, he will think that City can have better preparation for the season um, without, with being in the US and rather than, than Asia. And then the back, I think the last game's on August the 3rd. So they'll be flying back after that, which is two weeks before the Premier League starts. You would, they would like to hope that there will be a Community Shield involvement in that. But if there isn't, then maybe they, they throw in another friendly. Um, before the Premier League starts. But yeah, they will play four times in the US this summer. And, and sort of on the back of, of travelling around the world, uh, City Football Group have agreed a partnership, is it, with Istanbul Basak Shur? You just expand on that from what you know? Yeah, so it is not sort of a a an investment or a takeover of um, in, in the way that, you know, City have with, with other clubs, but it's more kind of an agreement that um, they will share resources and, and expertise. And, um, you know, the club in Turkey gets all of the the knowledge and the insight of the City Football Group, which is, you know, pretty good for them. And uh, and City get a foothold into a, another kind of major corner of the football market um, where they can sort of have more of an insight into a vast country um, that has produced some some excellent footballers. And it also spans two continents. So it's, you know, growing, growing, growing the group across two continents at the same time. It couldn't be easier. So City Football Group currently includes Manchester City, New York City, Melbourne City FC, Yokohama Marinos, Montevideo City Talk, Girona, Shenzhen Peng, Mumbai City, Lomel SK, Etsak, Palermo, Bahia, and another partner club in Bolivar. So, you know, it's not, not, not like it's new to them to, to, to be doing this. But what, what are the sort of pros and cons? I think with, is it Girona? If they get in the Champions League, it could affect City. And I think that that conversation is still ongoing. Does, does this sort of happen with Istanbul? Because, you know, they've been in the Europa League and, you know, potentially they could get in the Champions League. Could, it, could this pose a problem for City? Yeah, I think the whole Girona thing has been sort of massively overblown anyway. Um, ironically highlighted by by Jim Ratcliffe when he was speaking about um, recently about United and City, because obviously 
he owns more than one football club with European ambitions. So it is one of those things where it's sort of seen as like, oh, this could be a big issue, but in all likelihood, it's just going to be like a, a minor administrative change that nothing needs to happen. Because I think Brighton maybe and Aston Villa also had to do this before they could play in the, the Europa League. It's just kind of a, a stroke of the pen. Uh, so yeah obviously they might have to look into it as and when the time arises but you know I would be very surprised if City aren't playing in the Champions League next year because Girona are Um, and I would be very surprised if Istanbul are the team that sort of stops City from playing in the Champions League as well will be uh, one of those other complications added into the the whole ethos of Manchester City at the minute with all the Premier League charges and and you know could do it's it's almost like City are gathering the amount of conversation that United are famous for you know there's always a story about Manchester United you know is there is it is it growing that there's always a story about Manchester City could it be going that way well but fam- from traveling, famously oh, sorry go on famously no one cares about City no one no one cares about them. no one talks about them they they're no big deal that's why um, everyone talks about them. Mm. Talking City, here we are. <laughs> anyway, Sai, from uh, from travelling around the world to travelling to the match, here's my big link. On uh, Earlier this week, I released a video, a vlog video, report style video, where I got the bus to the Etihad Stadium on Saturday. Now, we talked about the terrible weather for Brentford. We talked about the even worse weather for the Chelsea game at the weekend. Well, I got stuck in that, Sai, I got absolutely saturated uh, doing my bit of journalism for the Manchester Evening News. So I took the uh, I took the city bus from Shaw in Oldham, and I travelled to the Etihad Stadium, uh, and I made a video about it. So if you want to check that out, that is available on our YouTube channel. I think it's got about twelve thousand views on YouTube so far. But I want to take this time to announce that we're going to do a part two. Sai, I'm going to come back to you for a few more comments on this and your your sort of reaction to how how it went and from who you've spoken to. I've spoken to the club again. The club are going to get involved on this. They're going to give us some data and some information that I can put into the vlog. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from Macclesfield. Now, Macclesfield doesn't have a Metrolink system. It doesn't have like Shaw does. And some of the comments that I got on YouTube were, well, you went from a place that has a Metrolink, so you're comparing it to that. Whereas Macclesfield, some people were saying, well, I travel from Macclesfield. And it was, I absolutely loved it. It's an absolute lifesaver than having to drive and then get the train or whatever. So I'm going to head over to Macclesfield in the not too distant future and film that. And uh, I'm hopefully without, not, not physically side, but hopefully I'm going to bring you along for the ride as part of the video. So uh, are you looking forward to that? <laughs> uh, yes. As long as it's not literally bringing me along for the ride. Um, yeah. That's why I said not physically. Noth- yeah. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> against bus. It's just, you know, I've got to be, got to be at the stadium. Um, but yeah, no, it, midday, it, I, <laughs> I enjoyed, I enjoyed the watch. So I'm looking forward to part two. Very good. Yeah, I've got. I've, I've been in touch with the club. They've they've given me some guidance from their perspective that they would like to add into it, uh, some context from their side, which which I'm I'm all for because you know at the end of the day it was we were sharing an experience together, and they need the data as much as I need the data, and and it's good to to collaborate that way. So look forward to that, everybody. But yeah, it was a nice short part two. Uh, we're going to jump straight in now to part three, which is going to be the Bournemouth preview. So we'll see you in a second.
on Saturday, it's another 5.30 kickoff for Manchester City. It's becoming a bit of a more of a common occurrence, this. Simon, you're heading down to Bournemouth. Now, we said at the top of the show, we hope that the weather's going to be better for you than it has been in Manchester this past few days. But my first question, Si, is how are you getting there? Are you going to drive or are you going on the train? I'm driving. Driving there, driving back on Saturday. So hopefully the roads are kind. Gosh, when, whenever I go, so we go sort of once a year with the family because we've got a holiday home down there. I'd, I'd love oh, to give you it's very not nice. It's not mine to give away. Right. It's a, it's a family one. But we drive down there. It takes us about six to eight hours because we have to make several stops for the kids. So are you doing this in one big hit? Uh, one big hit, yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't think I've done it as one big hit before because we have um, friends in Bournemouth. So quite often it's been combined with sort of um, seeing them. But every time, everyone who has driven straight the way, all the way, kind of says the last hour gets like really rough um, or, or really congested rather than rough because rough would indicate like it was a sort of a sea and it got a bit choppy, whereas actually it's just a lot of cars in one place that are slowing you down. So uh, hopefully it is all fine. And um, yeah, a, a long, a long old day, but um yeah, I do. I do enjoy going to Bournemouth, um, and it's quite a, an interesting stadium. I once flew down to Bournemouth, which sounds very attractive, but was actually cheaper than uh, than getting getting the train, flying to Southampton Airport, and then getting the train to Bournemouth. And on the way back, um, I was next to David Silva and Bernardo Silva in uh, security, putting the in the bags through did you get the so that exclusive? was exclusive. I did get the exclusive, yeah. Yeah, they've been uh they, they hadn't been able to travel back with the rest of the team because they had to uh have uh whatever it is the checks that you have to have after after a game. So they were uh slumming it, but it made it, it I wouldn't say it made my day, but it made the day of all of the fans who were traveling back because they could sort of go up to them and sort of get have a bit of a chat to them. Yeah, it was nice. Brilliant. Well, I uh, on, on that subject, I once flew to Southampton for the same reason. The train was about 250 quid and the flight was 80 quid return. It just made total yeah. sense. Five yeah, hours it, on the train, an hour on a flight. It just made absolute sense. And not to bore everyone to death with travel details, but maybe some people in future will think that the plane could work for, for them. But we had, So we had to get a train back from Bournemouth to Southampton Airport and that train was the one going to Manchester direct. So we got off at Southampton Airport, flew back and were home before that train got back to Piccadilly. Well before as well. Yeah. Right. Well, Si, one thing you'll be pleased to know about doing a big up and down trip to Bournemouth is that in the 18 times, sorry, in the 20 times Manchester City have played Bournemouth, they have won 18 of them and only drawn two. So City are completely unbeaten against Bournemouth. And in the last few games, they've won 6-1, 4-1, 4-0, 2-1, 2-1, 3-1. 1 0, 3 1, 4 0. So plenty of goals, and hopefully it's not going to be a boring 0 0 or a defeat. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but on the on the sort of, again, we're, we're recording this before the press conference, but team news, do you expect there to be any changes? Um, I mean, I expect a few changes, but in terms of availability, uh, I think the big one to watch is Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, you know, it wasn't deemed a major thing for him to be on the bench and uh, for for that game, but I think the fact that he didn't even warm up or anything like that was kind of a reality check of, yeah, he's not suddenly gonna 
turn out and blitz the league every game. Um, he does need to be managed and that, you know, they will be, the medical team will be checking everything he does, but he also needs to be aware um, of his body and he is, and that's why he's able to say, look, it doesn't quite feel right. I need to sit this one out. So, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say that City need Kevin De Bruyne to go to Bournemouth um, because they have lots of other good players, but at the same time, you know, it would it, they would rather have him than not. Um, so you would think that he's he's able to make the trip, um, but it, it's just how many minutes he he gets down there because more than anything, you know, the last thing City would want is for something to happen against Bournemouth or Luton, and then he's out for United, Liverpool, Arsenal, that kind of that run that is coming very very shortly. Um, and yeah, Grealish and Guardiola still. Still going to be out, I think. So, uh, not much change on the injury front. No, but if anything happens in the press conference and there's a surprise inclusion of anybody back from fitness, you'll find that on the Manchester Evening News. Simon will be at the press conference. So, as it happens, it will be updated on, on the Manchester Evening News. So, do check that out. Uh, that will have obviously happened before this podcast goes out. So, if you do want to, you may know that information yourselves by now. But, uh, Si... Uh, predicted eleven then. So based on what you've what you've said and what you think, do we do we think there'll be a massive change to the eleven that played against Brentford? Um, well, I mean, you just look at who needs game time, and and I sort of wonder. Like, it's been a while since Rico Lewis has played. Um, you would obviously think that he might get a game against Luton on Tuesday, and the second leg against Copenhagen, maybe. So maybe that kind of takes him out of the equation but I wouldn't be too surprised to see see Lewis start and then it, it does Ake come back come back in probably um so yeah Ake Ake Stones Diaz and and Lewis perhaps and then Rodri I don't know if he will go for if this might be the game where um Alvarez or Foden drop out um Possibly Alvarez. He started every every league game so far, which is astonishing. Um, but the balance wasn't amazing um, on Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. So maybe Rodri, Kovacic and Foden, um, just to get that extra bit of bite in midfield. And then Bernardo Silva, Jeremy Doku and Erling Haaland up front. Doku, of course, who got four assists in the uh the six one win at home. It's a bit sort of like the uh four nans Jeremy um peep show reference. But that is in fact the only game in which Jeremy Doku has a Premier League assist. Um he just happened to get four of them. So uh I don't think Bournemouth will be looking forward to facing him again. No, it's true. Um, just looking at the uh, the next few fixtures for Manchester City then. So on Tuesday, away again. So another trip for you down to London. Sort of just outside London enough to probably not get stuck in too much traffic if you drive in. Well, I, I, I'm going on the train, so it is into London okay. and then out again. Perfect. Well, you can relax at least and have a coffee on the uh, on the train but City travel to Luton in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Eight o'clock kickoff on Tuesday. Then it's the big one. It's the Manchester Derby. And I was actually speaking to some of the fans and just referencing the bus chat again about 
do you think United fans are going to get on some of these City match day buses, or do you reckon that they will completely avoid them? Because there's there was there was security on the bus when I got on it, but there was you know if you cover your colours up, nobody's checking your shirt to see whether you can get on it as long as there's no violence, I guess. And it, it's it, it's money in City's pockets, isn't it? <laughs> you know, six or eight quid return if, yeah. if they get on it, and as long as there's no violence, it's could be a nice nice uh, little earner for City. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's yeah. the Copenhagen game at home again. So three, two games in three days there uh, for City. So look, this is this is quite a pivotal time for City. And we talked about in the last pod we did together, you know, loss against Luton, loss against United and, and a dramatic, you know, 4-0 beat win by Copenhagen, which we know is not going to happen, by the way. But, but you know, stranger things have happened. Could completely derail City's season, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we're talking about March as being big for United, Liverpool, Arsenal. And the thing that Pep and his players will have been talking about is like your Bournemouths and your Lucens and Copenhagen's because those are the games that people like us don't talk about because we expect them to win. But just that three-match run then, Luton, United and Copenhagen, that's three games in three competitions that, like you say, can either make or break what goes on because we don't talk about it that much, but the the treble and the double treble is still on. And if City win or come through in those games, then they're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and they're still up um, fighting at the top of the Premier League. So, you know, it may seem like Luton and Copenhagen are kind of the lesser games coming up, but actually they're games that really push you towards... Um, towards trophies you know it it would be a a contrary take and but you could see that you know you could have an argument where you would say United is the least important of the three because if City lose to United then they can still make up enough ground if they beat Liverpool the week after then you know maybe it, it doesn't losing to United doesn't matter in the overall scheme of wanting to win the Premier League whereas they have to get the result against Luton to progress in the FA Cup they have to get the result against Copenhagen to progress in the Champions League so by, um, you know, I think it's the 7th or the 8th of March, you know, days before they, they head to Anfield for that huge game against Liverpool, they can either sort of know that the treble isn't going to happen definitively, or they can know that it's significantly closer than it was right now. That's absolutely incredible. Isn't it? I mean, City's next six, as you said, Bournemouth, Luton, United, Copenhagen, Liverpool, and then Brent, Brighton. And you look at those six games and you think, win, win, draw at worst, win, draw at worst, win. So I don't look at any of those fixtures and think, oh, City might lose that. You know, Liverpool yeah. are coming in off the back of the League Cup final, which is this weekend against Chelsea. You know, how, yeah. are they going to... Yeah, and go we on, don't go. know how that will go for them, but, but yeah. also the Brighton game gets moved if City progress in the FA Cup final. So then you're talking like, yeah, in the middle of March, they've got the chance to to progress again and say, yeah, next month we're going to be at Wembley again, lads, FA Cup semi, you know, defending champions. We, we're uh, on on the march again. So um, that is important. And as you say, Liverpool in a cup final, final, who knows how it will go? Everyone expects them to win because they've been so much better than Chelsea this season. But, you know, Pochettino has been quite thorny for City and there's every chance with that... Um, trillion dollar squad that um they 
have the talent and the the capability to to surprise Liverpool. And then you know you can spin it either you can spin it whatever result whatever result happens. But we won't know until it happens what the actual impact of um, that is on a severely depleted Liverpool squad. Yeah, and with 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 Klopp announcing he's leaving, you know, it could be the the high that they need, the peak of of the Liverpool season to to win that trophy. And then essentially, it's like, well, we're winding down now to the end of the season, you know. And and if if they win it, you could think they they go on and win the Premier League. If they lose it, they could use that as motivation to go on and win the Premier League. Or or if they win it. They could be like, right, we've peaked now and, and slowly come back down to earth and City get into gear. It's just, there's so many ways and that's why the, the football, you know, football is so exciting. But Si, to wrap up, let's uh, let's have your score prediction uh, for City Bournemouth. If you, you sort of said last time we spoke that City always conceded, you, you, you predicted 3-1. That was accurate. So I'm, uh, I've got my bet slip ready. What, um, what's your score? I'm, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for 3-1 again. I think, I think Bournemouth will get one, but I think, City will be too strong for them. Yeah, I, do you know what? Three one was what I had written down. I had three one written down for, for the simple fact that what you said to me last time we did this. City always concede, but they they keep scoring three. You know, the the Champions League this season they've scored three in every game, and if you score three in every game, you expect to win. So I I, I agree with you. I'll, I'd have gone three one. Um, should we say Harland hat trick? <laughs> <laughs> two two for two, Harland. Fair enough. Two for Haaland in the 70th and the 77th minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant sight. Right, well, we, either myself or Joe or Ty, will be back with you on Monday to review that Bournemouth game and we will preview the FA Cup clash at Luton. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Another nice hour-long pod. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to uh, subscribe, give us a subscription. If you want to leave us a five-star review, we would very much appreciate that. And one of us will be back with Sai on Monday. Thanks for listening. 